Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week I'm joined here by Dwayne. Hey, we're also joined here with Kyle. Hi, everybody, and also on the call is Mike. Hey, what's up? And there's there you nobody, go. There's nobody for me to introduce. I love. I. <laughs> <laughs> but but did you check out Mike? Did you check out the the title of the last episode? It's just was it just my name? Yeah, it was just with Mike. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Featuring guest star. <laughs> yeah, there you go. See now it's like it's basically like your uh, your music person, you know, featuring Mike Barrocaro. There you go. That's it. Except my beats aren't as good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this week three v three. Dwayne, we we got through three v three. Yeah, I think it was pretty awesome. Um, everybody, like again, everybody has fun with 3v3. It's a big event. Um, shout out to the tournament staff, referees, getting everybody socially distanced. Um, and just overall making sure everybody had a great day. It was I heard nothing but good things throughout the whole day, even with everything that's going on. Everybody was there sacrificing for the kids, and the kids ultimately won because they had fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, was a, it was a great time. I was there for a bit in the morning. And then, Kyle, you were there as a parent in the <laughs> yes. afternoon. Yeah, so I was actually very appreciative. We had a, a play day in the morning that got uh, cut a little short, so I was able to uh, zip back up, and my older daughter was playing. Um, and as, as Dwayne said, it's just such a unique thing, and the kids get so excited. I mean, when you look at the creation of the team shirts, you know, to um, – you know, kind of their socially distanced cheers and just the excitement all around it. I saw it for a first time last year. Um, I went down with the rec team down to Dover and uh, obviously just a great way to end the rec season and just a unique format that, um, you know, I think the kids have a lot of fun with because it's, it's different and it's, it's, but it's still soccer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like how you bring up the uniforms. I feel like every year the uniforms get better and better where kids are like, going all out national team jerseys names on the back and they it was just, a it was a team in a full like everybody had a full-on chelsea kit yeah they had the yellow chelsea kit like each year everybody tries to outdo someone else um i know one team is like oh we're gonna wear tie-dye and there's like five tie-dye teams i was like hey you gotta come out here and represent and be prepared like it's not like only the it's a soccer contest but it's a fashion week too i like the fact that they get to pick their own team name so that's always fun to to kind of see uh favorite team name the penguins shout out to the penguins hey champions <laughs> that's right shout out to the penguins <laughs> um so yeah so that was that was a great time and that that basically caps the that, that that ends the the recreational season for the fall so now we basically just look towards uh the spring season at the end of march beginning of april so we're we're looking forward to that also on Monday, on Monday night, we had a the ASPI college prep night, and Mike was a part of that, and then Kyle Kyle joined in as well. So I had a, I was pretty nervous. Uh, not gonna lie, I don't think I've done something in Zoom with that many people at once. We had around seventy people or so, and so it was it was somewhat nerve wracking to go through that presentation without being able to necessarily focus on people's reactions or things that people. Sometimes when you give a presentation, you kind of are to exp- trying to see if people are engaged or if you need to do something different and it's hard to hard to focus out on zoom because you can't really pay attention to anybody else uh but overall it was i thought it was good we we had some good feedback uh mike what do you think of it 
I loved it. I mean, listen, I'm not a, I'm not a big zoom person. Like anybody, my team right now will tell you that like, it's the bane of my existence. Um, I hate it. Um, and I agree with you, Sebastian. I think it's so difficult to do um, really good content over zoom. It, it really is because the best content I think is the most interactive. And if you can't have the true interaction, it's, it's hard to do. I thought you guys did a really, really good job. Really good job. I thought it was super informative. I think the breakout rooms were a really great, piece to it for sure yeah that was something that we we came up with with my wife Brittany, who gets a big shout out because she did a she did an awesome job um and she came up she did the presentation and everything else and it was really good uh that was something we came up with of like hey we have the ability to do this breakout room thing and let's let's try something different because normally everybody's in the same even if we did it in person everybody's in the same room and sometimes even though i feel like the content from the breakout rooms was somewhat similar sometimes parents need to hear one thing or be directed specifically at them and and players need to be told the same thing but directed at them i i told the players or one of the things we talked about in the um in the breakout room and we had kelly brown from regis university and eileen Ascalise who from or sinus in the player breakout room and we talked about social media and how social media can be either a positive impact on your college recruitment or it can be a negative impact on your college recruitment and how important that is um you know, Eileen gave them the tip of just make your stuff private right now. Go do it now. Make your stuff private. Don't 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 have 17 different accounts. Just um, and the other part was just what, you know, Kelly talked about building your brand, build your brand. And, and what do you want to showcase about yourself? Because that that could be a first impression for some people. So um, and Mike, you you were in the parent breakout room. I was. How is uh? How was that conversations? How were those conversations? It was good. It was more, um, it was a little bit quieter than what I anticipated. You know, I, I thought if I was in the player breakout room that I would have expected that with some, with the younger kids, obviously I thought there would be a bit more, um, maybe a few more questions from, from the parents up front. Yeah. Um, but I mean, listen, all, all in all, I think, uh, the other side of that is we probably did a good job answering a lot of questions up front leading into the breakout rooms where um, they're probably, you know, maybe they, they weren't left with much. I think, I, you know, what's interesting about those programs, Sebastian, is I think uh, things are always evolving and things are always changing. So I think that these are things that, you know, we probably should do regularly. And I think as we go through it and as parents go through it a second, a third time, um, I, I think question more and more questions will start to come the first time. It always is a little bit kind of deer in headlights. Um, but the more you do it, the more interaction you get. Yeah. And actually we, we, yeah, it was interesting. We discussed that afterwards. We talked about how the goal is for everybody that was on the call to jump in on the next time we do it. So that way they pick up something different, right? They're in a different stage of the process, even if they're younger and they're still middle school or the beginning of high school and they're still, kind of figuring out what they want to do it's still a good option to find out something different that they maybe didn't know about or think about uh we got a we got a player reach out to us after the call saying that you know before that she never really thought about playing college soccer and afterwards she's like at least i want to give it a shot i, I want to explore the possibility of it i had a parent come up to me yesterday and say hey listen my kid plays uh ice hockey and he's a senior in high school and we picked up stuff that's helpful for him because we feel like we're, we're kind of in the dark right now. So, um, so it was, it was good. We had a, we had a really good time with it. And then we have the boys one 
coming up in January, and Kyle's going to be a part of a part of that one um, as one of the panelists, uh, considering he's got a lot of experience coaching men's college soccer. So, so it's good. And that's why I jumped on the call just to kind of get an idea and and exactly what you guys were saying. I mean, these are things that when you worked in that environment and you're in higher education, you, I think you start to assume that people know a lot of things that parents kind of have the information they need that students and you get wrapped up because you're in it every day. Um, and I thought the content was absolutely spot on with, you know, when to start thinking about certain things, when to start preparing. Um, and you can't turn back the clock. So, you know, I think looking at this, the players and focusing on the student athlete side of things, what are you supposed to be doing academically right now? What, are, what should you be thinking about? What should you be preparing? Um, a lot of times, unfortunately, in my experiences, players didn't start thinking about these things until their junior year or sometimes until the beginning of their senior year. Um, and it was too late. Um, and, and there was a, there were at times missed opportunities, um, because players started the process too late. So, um, I'm just so happy we're doing this with the club and, and giving the information in a, in a timely fashion. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Moving on to the much, much, much anticipated men's national team debut. Um, all right. I mean, we started two 17 year olds, uh, three, three, sorry. Yeah. Three, three, yeah. Three 17 year olds. Yeah. For, I keep the 17 year olds keep popping out. Yeah. <laughs> so many of them. We started three 17 year olds. Um, all right. I mean, this, this is really much anticipated game. Uh, thoughts, Mike on the game thoughts. I, so you guys can't see this, but I, I, I use a digital notebook to take nice. all my notes so I can organize my stuff. And um, I have yesterday while I was watching the game, I took five pages of notes. <laughs> wow. All right. So Mike's gunning for the uh, Greg Berhalter's job. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I guess the overall thing I would say is I do think it's a really positive step in the right direction for sure. I mean, I, I, I do feel like ever since, obviously, we didn't qualify for the last World Cup, it has been this quest to try to earn back the trust of fans across the country, um, to try to give people a reason to be excited. Um, and I was, I, I give Burhalter a lot of credit for diving into the youth in a way that no other coach has done before. And in fairness, he's had the best pool to do that with. So maybe that's why no other coach has done it before is because they haven't had a pool like this. Um, but he gave the fans what the fans have always asked for. Um, and, and then on top of it, you have the added surprise of Eunice Musa, uh, which kind of popped up out of nowhere. And I think all in all, it, it, it probably did the job of getting people to want to now tune into that next game on Monday. Um, and I think that's honestly for them, it's a step-by-step -step thing. They need to continue to bring people back every game. Yeah. I mean, the the interesting thing as I watched the game, the only thing that stuck out to me, which then became extremely apparent that we need to make sure that this gets figured out or solved. Hopefully Monday we, we start seeing that is so as soon as the game ended, um in the in the Fox Sports broadcast, they go back to the studio with Alexi Lalas and uh and Stu Holden. And the first thing that gets said out of Alexi Lalas and Stu Holden's mouth is, oh, well, you know, next time we'll bring Josie Altidore in it. And I automatically, I turned it off. I almost threw my phone out the window of my car. 
like, no, no, no. Yes, we need to find a, some. There's got to be a forward, right? There's got to be somebody that can play a forward for more than 10 minutes because I felt like you brought in a forward for 10 minutes and it just it didn't do really anything. But th- th- you have to be able to play with some sort of – I feel like that was the one thing that was missing. I felt like there was a lot that was – it reminded me, and, and I'm going to say something that I hope gets taken the right way. And don't feel like I'm going bananas here. And Dwayne will appreciate this because him and I have talked about this, but it almost looked like watching Barcelona struggle to score a goal at times because they don't have a center forward, right? They just like spun around the 18 from one side to the other without finding that person, that target to play it to. Not that I'm comparing the U.S. men's national team to Barcelona or vice versa. We got Barcelona players now. We do have Barcelona (laughs) players. But at the same time, though, like it felt like that. It felt like we we threw players to rotate around, which is fine to a certain extent because I think they're they play they can. There's a lot of players that can play different positions, but there was no distinct nine. There was nobody that took the reign because Sebastian uh, Leggett or Leggett played seven different positions in one game. Like it, it was it was, and then he played he played in the he played in the midfield. For five minutes and then was subbed off. Like it just, it, it, I don't know. I just, that's the only thing that was frustrating to me. Everything else I thought was great. I think, I think gotta, that in, for the future, our number nine is going to come from MLS. And I think that because you got to have a number nine that scores goals. I mean, if you look at all the American guys abroad, I mean, they, they're better than the MLS guys, but we need someone that's used to seeing the ball hit the net and they just have that form. They're like, all right. Every time I take the shot, it's used to hit in the back of the net. So I think that's where the MLS guys come in and they kind of help this team out is that they have guys that play up top that are younger, right? Not Chris Wondolowski, not Josie Alto, whatever. They have some younger talent in MLS that is used to scoring goals, seeing scoring 15, 16, 17 goals. And that's what we really need is someone that can come in and see in the back of the net. Like Josh Sargent's a great option, but Josh Sargent also isn't leading the Bundesliga in scoring goals. I hope he does, but he's not He's not consistently going to score double-digit goals. We need someone that can come in and score double-digit goals to help us get forward. Or the other option is, as in the men's national team, we post on Facebook that we're having open trials for strikers, and they go that route. We bring in anybody that's eligible in the country to come out and do these open trials and we figure out who can play striker. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think – for me, I'm, I try to see the big picture of it, right? And I thought we did a really good job, especially in the first half, with just our overall possession of the ball. And, and I see what you're, what you're saying, Sebastian, of, of getting into that final third and then kind of running out of ideas at times. It, 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 but we got to look at the big picture. The big picture is we've also, for a long time now, been on the other side of games like that, where we've had teams that have had 61% possession against us. And we're just like, oh, my God, I, I just is there something else on TV that I could watch right now? Um, so I think that is a positive that we were setting the tempo of the game. Um, I think that's a good thing. I think the other thing you have to remember is this is like an eight day camp and the hardest part of the game to pick up for any team is when you lack time and you lack space, which is what happens in the final third of the field. So that final third portion of the game is always going to be the toughest part for these players to pick up in such a short window of a camp. If this was at the end of a 30 day camp leading into a world cup, and we were not able to find the exclamation mark on the end of that possession, then I'd be worried. 
because uh, you have 30 days to try to create ideas within that team and training. But at the end, you know, in the middle of an eight day training camp, um, that is going to be the toughest part for them to pick up. I, I do. Now here's the other side of it too. And, and obviously we're all coaches here. And as a coach, this pains me to say it, but when we talk about the learning curve of the players, I think we also can't forget that there is a learning co- curve for the coaches as well. And Greg Burhalter, in all reality is not a super experienced coach at the highest level. Uh, he was not successful during his tenure when he was in Sweden and was more successful when he was with Columbus, but still didn't really win anything. Uh, and now he's with our national team. I'm not saying he's not a good coach. I think he potentially could, could be a great coach, but I think things like timing of substitutions, uh, you could see how he's still working his way through learning the right parts of the game to get players into the game to stop momentum swings. Um, you know, starting lineups, right? Like the entire time I watched that game yesterday and you see, I think it's a classic case of a coach overthinking the game, you know, like, okay, Josh Sargent's out. Well, you brought in two other number nines, play the number nines. He puts legit in and said, Oh, well now we're going to play with a false nine. Well, I mean, the guy got called into camp later than everybody else traveled all the way from Los Angeles to Europe. Uh, and now you're going to throw him into the starting lineup playing a position that he's never played before uh, and is and is out of position. I think that's just overthinking it instead of if you're going to use this as an opportunity to try things like Eunice uh, Musa, like Conrad De La Fuente, then try one of the guys that actually plays that spot. And it brought me back to the chat that we had last week, guys, because as I'm watching the game, I'm like, this game is screaming for somebody like Aaron Johansson, who because – as much as everybody after the game wants to say that Gio Reyna did not have a great game, I really truly believe that a part of the reason why he and Conrad probably both looked like they were not great or as good as what they could be is because they did not have a number nine to stretch the back line. And, you know, let's not discount the fact that when Gio Reyna takes those great inside dribbles for Dortmund, he's got Holland driving behind two center backs, pulling them with him uh, and creating all sorts of space. And right now, Legette's coming down and Reyna's coming in, and they're running into each other, and they're bringing defenders with both of them. You look, oh, at, yeah, I mean, guys, you look at the guys we bring in, right? You talk about the Reynas. You talk about the even a pull of six hurt. You look at Conrad. You look at, like, Weston McKinney. Who are they passing the ball to on their club team, right? Like, somebody that's world-class. Mm-hmm. We lack that in the United States, but we also lacked having a number nine for them to play the ball to in those spaces, like you just said. Yeah. Like, we don't have that world-class – we don't have that Ronaldo. We don't have that Messi. We don't have that, you know, Tammy Abraham or Olivier Giroud. Like, we don't have that type player. Well, and you, you saw it. You saw it. There was three moments that stuck out to me um, when I was watching the game. One, Gio Reyna plays a fantastic cross to Conrad, who, by all straight, like, heads the ball and misses, but it's probably not used to that that situation right inside the box top of the six like not used to it and then two other things stuck out to me um which were and i thought about mike when when these things happen one johnny cardozo comes in five minutes in gets oh. stuck into a just <laughs> kick somebody right in the chest that's just one way to get into a game uh and the second one i wanted to ask what did you think of Sergio desk because i know you were hesitant at to a certain extent, about him playing as, as an outside back. What do you think? Uh, Sergio Dest 
you, you could see the way that his game has grown over the past year from getting into the starting lineup with Ajax and then making the move to Barcelona. I think some of the deficiencies in his game that we were seeing some other times that he was out on the field, with the U S like when he got torched by Mexico, um, they're starting to, um, they're starting to diminish a little bit because he's in the environment every day now um, where he can't be a defensive liability at Barcelona. He just can't. Um, and if you're a defensive liability, you're not going to play. And, um, and I, so I think you're, you're starting to see him strengthen some of his weaknesses. I think obviously we all hope that you could see that on the other side with Anthony Robinson, because I, I, I do love a lot of what the U S was doing, but over the course of the game, you could see how, um, you know, two attacking players from Wales did cause them problems when they turned the ball over in bad parts of the field because both outside backs are flying up the field, which is, which is fine. And that's great. Um, but if you play against better, eventually you're going to play against better competition with better counterattacking players. And you swap out some of those players for Wales with like, even if Gareth Bale was on the field, I mean, that game could have easily been Wales doesn't have a lot of the ball and wins one, nothing. <laughs> yeah. The one where Matt Miazga gets the, gets the yellow, the, mm-hmm. that was that, that run. Yeah. You could see it that in that moment. Yeah, and there was one in the first half where Anthony Robinson recovered uh, and then John Brooks stepped in um, and, you know, but it was, it was an opportunity to counterattack. I think counterattacks are going to happen when you're throwing that many numbers forward. Um, But again, I think that, I think a lot of these, a a lot of like the smaller, I want to say like rich people problems that we had yesterday, because I'm really glad with the way they played, but I think a lot of their problems were, um, were due to, it all comes back to one piece for me, the lack of a, of a uh, game stretching target forward, because I just think when they turned the ball over, a lot of the times it was because they created this congestion where they were eventually going to give the ball away because they could not open the game with a bigger pass in behind. I mean, if you actually, you could count on one hand the number of times that they penetrated in behind in that game. Um, and, and they got to find a little bit more of a, of a balance with that. And they, but the problem was they didn't have that balance across their front line, you know, Conrad, Legette and, and Reina all want the ball at their feet and, and that's okay, but it puts a lot of pressure then on your outside backs to get forward, get overlapping and allow them to get in behind. And that's just, that's a lot to ask. And it's going to leave you exposed in the back. And then if you play too many small passes, you're going to get countered and you're going to give something up to better teams. So they need somebody like that game. Even if it was a Jordan Morris that was playing out wide somebody who could vertically stretch the game at times and allow John Brooks to play a long diagonal or McKinney to get down on the ball and play a long diagonal. Um, it, it just would have opened the game up just a little bit more, I think. And, you know, the timing of the subs, getting players onto the field with 10 minutes left, it's just not that, that there's a learning curve for the players. Certainly I, I, I worry that there might be a bit more of a curve for the coach. Yeah, the, the last subs come in with four minutes left to go and the referee the referee ended the game at 90 minutes. There was zero stoppage time whatsoever. It felt like a college game, right? It just counted down and then boom, it was done. <laughs> and going back to what Mike said originally, I think going all the way back, big picture, I think there's a ton of positives. Yeah. Um, and it's earning the trust back. I think that the thing that excited me was earning the trust back, but still – being willing to progress into the modern game. So it wasn't like we didn't qualify. So let's try to get back to what we were before. I mean, these players are different players um, and they can play a different style. And so now you're not only playing young players, but you're also trying to convince America 
that we can play this way, right? Um, and so I think they did that yesterday. I know I was, you know, I, I saw it. Um, I think there were moments, I thought Dest was really good getting forward, but there were two moments for me, there was a long ball played in and behind him and he kind of hesitated to close it. And you're assuming Stefan can make the save, but it, I think it was his first save of the game and, and, and Dest kind of just holds and, and gives the guy, I mean, he could have started closing spaces. The ball was delivered, you know, it was a 60 yard diagonal ball kind of held for a minute and then just waited and kind of peeked over his shoulder. Um, so second guessing that, and then he, you know, he got beat down the line um, where, you know, I thought he closed too quickly, but um, on the opposite side of that, there were times in the attacking third where he just does things that we've never done before, um, you know, where he's getting that confidence. I mean, even kind of the nonchalant overlapping run where he plays a ball into space. Like, I mean, those are things we've never had. Um, and then like Weston McKinney's ability um, when Robinson got beat to just come from out of the screen, you know, and make a blitzing tackle, um, you know, that shows what they can be. Um, but I think if we don't fix a little bit of, you know, figuring out those liabilities, um, you know, as, as Mike said, against better teams, um, that tackle doesn't happen against a Cristiano Ronaldo, <laughs> you know, if he's, if he's exposed into space. Um, and then I think goalkeeping, you know, we'll still have to figure out, um, you know, what we want from goalkeeping. I mean, Zach Steffen is great with his feet. Um, he wasn't overly tested, but, you know, where are we going to go with goalkeeping? Um, we'll leave that last question. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we're going to, we're going to move on to the Argentinian or sorry, the South American World Cup qualifiers. We're going to talk about Argentina yesterday, tying against Paraguay. And not so much about the game, but more about the concept of VAR. So, um, like I understand. So there was a goal that Messi scored that got called back because a minute before there was a foul in the middle of the field, and based on the on the FIFA rules with the VAR, any VAR can come back and review any play that was in play. So if the ball had gone out of bounds for a throw in and thrown in and couldn't be uh, reviewed. So they call back a goal. I I get the rule. What I don't like are two things. One, I don't like the rule. I think the rule is stupid. Uh, I, I just I think the rule needs to change. I don't think it makes any sense for anybody. If if I, I don't know if there has to be some sort of a time limit, if it just has to be common sense. Um, but you can't. A minute goes by. And, and I asked this question as soon as VAR started, like I asked my dad this, as soon as VAR started launching a couple of years ago, I asked him, I said, what's going to happen when, when somebody doesn't get the PK call and on the other side, somebody scores or somebody gets a red card or somebody or something, a fight starts or something like that. And you have to bring it over all back to the first call and take back, a, take back something that happened that ultimately was game changing. Um, and then the other part was uh, Palacios gets need in the in the back, literally in the back, uh, is out for the next three months, and VAR doesn't even review it once. Just doesn't even like they just moved on like it was nothing. Just there's some inconsistencies, and I think that just speaks more to South American soccer than VAR altogether. Uh, but I wanted to get your opinions on VAR in general as a uh, element of the game now. I think the coaches should have more control. 
I think they should bring in like a challenge flag, like NFL football, and just give the coaches control or the NBA that. or the NBA. Or the NBA. Oh, yeah. No, I think. I mean, like I, I think on like, like on quick decisions, like a goal, like leave the goal line technology in. But I think that if there's truly an issue and the coach disagrees, they're on the challenge flag. Maybe this is an MLS thing that you take a you lose a player for like five minutes. Like if <laughs> they you tried that, the they tried that in a U seventeen World Cup. So they use the U seventeen World Cup as a way to try things, or U seventeen tournaments as a way to try things. This was like three years ago. They tried if you got instead of getting a second yellow right away, you went on timeout for five minutes and then you got to come back on the field or something like that. It was yeah. a maybe weird the coach game. gets a yellow if you lose the challenge. Yeah, the coaches can get yellows now. Thinking about yeah. it, well, the coaches could get yellows before they're just never shown. I think you could, you, get, you could be cautioned before it just never, never shown the card. Maybe an ML, that might be an MLS idea. I, I think, I think they went too far, or they've cut, they've gone too far with some of the technology. I think it's one of those things where people have been calling for it for so long. Like, hey, we need goal line technology. Hey, we need VAR, uh, and then we get it. And we go all the way over to this end of the spectrum. And I think it, like anything in life, the, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, right? Like, should we have goal line technology in VAR? Yes. Should they probably narrow the scope of its use? Probably. Uh, like a situation like that, Sebastian, I didn't see the game, but the situation that you're speaking of where uh, a goal gets called back because of a foul that happens a minute later, maybe the role of VAR in that instance is, hey, there was this foul that happened a minute ago. You know, you can go back and give the card maybe to a player, but everything that happened uh, in the run of play still counts. But the, you know, maybe the video assistant referee can call down and say, hey, listen, the goal got scored. That's fine. But like a minute before the goal got scored, this dude went cleats up on somebody. You got to give him a yellow card. Um, and, and so then maybe they just narrow the scope of, of, of how you, of how it's utilized. Like for me, the big one that comes up is offside right now, right? Like there's these, offside calls that are coming up where uh, somebody's pointing to where they want a ball played and their pointer finger is the piece of their body that's offside that to me that that should not be offside you know that's that's not a clear you're not getting an advantage by pointing like that you're, you're just not so I think I think we've allowed the technology to take over the game to a degree where maybe maybe we don't have to and maybe we just need to reel it in a little bit um, and you know, if something happens in the run of play, the opportunity for somebody off the field to be able to review to see if there's any anything egregious, okay? I have no problem with them looking at goals anytime a goal is scored. You know, was there something in the immediate happenstance that happened? Like he knocks it down with his hand to his foot and then he scores it. Those things I think are fine. But to call a goal back a minute later and say, well, there was a foul a minute ago, you gotta, there has to be a human element to the game. Um, well, I think the shocking part was the fact that the the AR was five feet away from the foul and didn't flinch. Like looked at it, didn't flinch, just let it go. Well, the the other thing that I the other question I have though is, and, and I might be wrong about this, but the the video the VAR can tell the ref the center ref about whatever they want, correct? And the center ref has to make the ultimate decision on it. No, oh, yeah, he went and reviewed it and then called the foul. That see, yeah that. Uh, it's just that's just too much for me. Yeah, I think I think what you're looking at is like if you're saying the AR didn't see it, VAR was supposed to detect things that were missed, not detect things that were seen and you know deemed 
you know, within the rules of the game. So if the AR doesn't see anything there, that's what I'm looking for. And that's the human element. It's supposed to be the things that were unseen or missed. But I think the other part of VAR that people forget is it does change because it's changed, especially things like offsides. Players have had to adjust to that, right? There's been times where players stop because they're expecting a flag, but now the ARs have been instructed, keep it down, right? So it's changing even how players have played a little bit. So I think the thing, yeah, reeling it in, goal line technology, offsides. But again, like, yeah, if you're pointing at a ball, if it's a part of your body that you can't score with, like like Mike was alluding to, then then what's the problem, right? So if I'm pointing and I can't score with my arm and my arm's what's placing me offsides, you know, those are the types of things that um, they, they just don't matter um, or a foul a minute before. Well, there was the one that um... – so this was a couple of months ago where Lacazette falls on top of a ball. And as he's falling, he like touches the ball with his hand that leads to somebody else grabbing the ball and scoring the goal for Arsenal. And they called the goal back because they said that the goal was scored due to a handball. And I'm like, like you're, you're falling. Like, what are you supposed to do at that point? Like, like I, those are the things that sometimes I just think, we've lost the the human element not only that we've lost what what's fun about the sport right like part of the sport is being able to and i'm not trying to say that you should break the rules but part of the part of the fun of the sport is the fact that there's such a human element to it and it's to a certain extent unlike other sports right there because it's not as at times not as technical, right? It's not the same as football where, you know, you got to touch both feet and this and that. And when you, if it's a catch, not a catch, like all these other things, basketball to a certain extent, the same idea, but soccer is a f- somewhat like rugby to a certain extent, free flowing. And then the other part of it, and this is the, this is the thing that I think would make me feel more comfortable. And this is what rugby does that I like rugby. You can hear the conversations that the referee is having with the assistant ref- with the video assistant referee in soccer. You can't, no one's giving you the audio of what's actually going on. Like what are the conversations happening? Because I think there's a lot of mistrust, but there's a lot of mistrust because it's, it's justified. There's a lot of people in jail because of FIFA um, because of things that were fixed and, and things like that. So especially in South America. Um, so th- there's a reason for the mistrust to be there. So there's no transparency, and I think that's the biggest issue. And I don't, I just don't think it, it when it, when you bring it down to the youth level, or even the the collegiate level, or the or down to a different division or a different league, there's no consistency, right? The Champions League doesn't have VAR until you get into the knockout stages and the group stages. There's no VAR in the Champions League. That that those are it's almost like playing with two sets of rules, right? It's just I don't know. I just, I don't think controversy is a bad thing within games. And I think the, in the past before VAR, the things that we would get upset about as fans were these, it was beyond controversy. It was these, it was these game defining moments, right? Like I always go back to, uh, you guys hear me talk about this team a lot, but the 2002 U S world cup team and gosh, if there was VAR when Torsten Frings is handballing a ball off the goal line, that is potentially a, not just a game changing decision, but that, that might change the entire trajectory of us soccer in general. Right. Um, you know, that's something as, as 
as a fan that you get upset about and you're like, we should have VAR, we should have VAR. It's not the guy that fouled somebody a minute before the goal got scored. We all realized there was probably 15 other things that happened between those two things. Um, so it's just, it's just, you know, we got to auto correct ourselves here. We went from nothing. Now we're doing everything and we got to find our way back to the middle point. I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so overall, uh, World Cup qualifiers in South America kicked off. Uh, Ecuador beat Bolivia in Bolivia, which was a huge win for them. Argentina tied against Paraguay. And then the other three games are, are today. Big ones for me. The big one that sticks out is Colombia-Uruguay today. I think that's going to be a, a really good game to watch. Um, all right. So there was one other thing we wanted to talk about today <clears throat> before we get into the player of the match and, and everything else. This idea of tryouts versus not tryouts. Um, and this is something that we've talked about from a club perspective. We changed this mentality where we used to hold tryouts. And when I got to the club, one of my questions was, we have 500 kids that try out for this club and only 200, 250 end up playing for our club. Where What happens to the other 250 kids? And the response was, well, they just come and try out and they never really have an intention of playing in our club. So... When I look at it from a retention perspective, I'm like, well, why don't we look to bring in people that want to play in our club? And at the same time, why are we in an hour and 10 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes telling a 10 to 12 year old player that they're not good enough um, and also good enough for for what to a certain extent? Right. Um, so we decided to move into this idea of an ID session where players come out a couple of times and they get more comfortable and the reality is, is a lot of our players come from our recreational program. So they might not be at the same level as our, as our travel program players from a technical and game speed perspective. So it's this idea of we have to be able to do our jobs as coaches. Part of the reason why we, we work as coaches is to develop players, is to, to coach the players. And if you if all we're going to do is judge players and go, well, you're not good enough, then am I really doing my job? Um, you know, to a certain extent, it's easy to coach the good kids, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's always easy if your kid can, if you got a group of 11 year olds, that can juggle 150 times, uh, score bicycle kick goals, cross the ball. And you got a goalkeeper that's six foot tall, right? That's, that's easy to coach that team. Um, so, you know, where, where's the development come in? So, and this is just, this is a topic that of conversation because it's somewhat come up in our club this last couple of weeks about the fact that we're bringing in players from the recreational program. So, I, and I wanted to get Mike's opinion on this because Mike is not a club, a coach at our club. So I wanted to get his take on this um, because I know where Kyle and Dwayne stand on this. Uh, but what, what's your opinion, Mike, on the idea of bringing in a player at 10 to 12 years old with the idea of developing that player to play soccer as long as that player wants to be a part of the program? Yeah, um, it's this, it's this incredible I could see why people do it both ways is what I would, is what I would say. Cause I think that there's good and bad that come from, that come from all of it. I, I do believe that at some point in the development process, players need to learn how to get comfortable playing uh, in uncomfortable situations, which I think tryouts are great for. Um, I think it forces kids to step outside their comfort zone. Nobody likes being in a place where they're, where they feel like they're constantly being judged. Right. And, and so, but I do think that there's good that comes out of it. I think if we do it in the right way as a society, um, 
you know, stepping outside your comfort zone is, is never a bad thing. Um, you know, the other side of it is, are we, then are we really as a, as a soccer nation, are we doing our jobs developing, developing talent? And it almost leads me to like this, um, idea of having bigger, almost like, almost like bigger rosters for teams where you have players who, you know, are your game day players. And then another group of players who might not be quite as good, but they are good enough to be there training with those kids and hopefully developing into a game day player. Um, because I do believe that not everybody starts on an even playing field in, in, in anything in life, not just sports. And so I think allowing avenues for kids to find a way to catch up to the rest of the group uh, can be great because once in a while, one of those kids is not just going to catch up to the rest of the group. They're going to exceed uh, the rest of the group. So I do think creating an avenue where kids can um, where kids can have an opportunity to work their way in is is important. Um, I also see I, I do think that there is a, a massive um, developmental aspect though of, of also having moments for these players where they, where they feel uncomfortable, because I do think that that's a good thing. I, I think learning how to deal with failure is, um, even more, is, is even more important than always being successful. Um, I, I really believe that as I go out and I recruit players, I mean, I like seeing the moments, although, I mean, listen, it's, it's, we're going out and we're looking at players on clubs that are usually the best players on their club teams. Right. So um, there's usually not a lot, a ton of adversity for those kids, but maybe it's the the best player on a club team. And I want to see how they react if they have a bad game and their coach subs them out, or if they play against a better team. And now all of a sudden they are not the big fish in a small pond anymore. Um, those moments I think are really are critical to the, 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 the mental and emotional development of competitors. And, um, it's, it's important. And, and I, to be honest with you, Sebastian, this has, this has probably been the biggest, I don't want to say issue that I've run into, but being at the university of Delaware, being the head coach at the university of Delaware, I oftentimes get questions about why do you not have a roster full of Delaware kids? Um, I need to know how they're going to react when they play against better competition. And, and, um, Honestly, some of the, some of the local clubs, they're the kids don't get exposed to the level of competition that they're going to get exposed to when they play in college. And, um, and so for me, that kid is an unknown. Like if they come here and they go from being the best player in a local club to being not playing at all on my team, how are they going to handle it? Um, so I do, we got to create avenues for kids to develop. We also need to create avenues for kids to fail. Um, because I think both are equally as important to the overall maturation process of competitors. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think the hard part, the hard part about this is the longevity at times of players. We speaking from a Delaware union perspective, where we're a relatively small club in comparison to other clubs, either in the region or I think in the state would probably around the, one of the bigger clubs, um, certainly not the smallest club in the state, but at the same time, when you look at it from a regional perspective, you know, except for one or one or two teams, we really have only one team per age group. We don't have, you know, in the younger age groups, we've, we've done a better job of that. And I think the hard part becomes in longevity, right? So if, if at, 
11 or 12 years old, uh, we decide that we're only going to carry 12 to 14 players in a roster um, and we're never going to bring in any other kids. At some point, we're going to have to move to 11 v 11 and you're going to need 16, 17, possibly 18 players. And the reality is, is that you always got to account for, for a percentage of your players that are either going to move, change clubs or quit playing soccer, right? Those are the, usually the three options that happen, right? They're, and, and for one specific team, we actually had all three of those things happen within a year. We had a player move, we had a quit play, quit playing soccer, and we had a kid that decided to change clubs, which is perfectly fine. So then what do you do? You know, especially as you, you look to, um, as you look to move to, to 11 v 11 or progress in numbers. And I think that's the hard part. And I think where we do a pretty good job and I, I enjoy this part of the club is, um, I, I enjoy this part of the club is the fact that we get to, to a certain extent, control the environment, like Mike said, to challenge them. Right. So, um, I'll, I'll take the 2010s, uh, 2010 girls as an example. Last year, they had a pretty successful season in their league and everything else. Um, and then this year they're, they're playing against some very, very good competition and struggling a bit because I think part of it is, is, um, struggling to find success against really tough competition. Um, but it happens, right? That's And Mike said it, you got to find a way, a way to, to meet adversity and play against tougher competition to see how you react. Um, but I think the key for us is that the player pool has to be built at some point or else you risk losing players. And we see it. I mean, Dwayne and I coached the high school girls team. And I mean, we're, we're going to a tournament today, tonight in like four hours, we have 36 kids and we're about to show up to a game with one team of 12 and one team of 12 for tonight for a Friday night game. Right. I mean, that's, that's a hard part. Both teams have 16 and 17 players listed for this weekend. And for tonight we have 11 and 12 or 12 and 12. I like the idea of like, we're moving towards like a player pool so that we can be able to bring in players to train. Cause I think you see it a lot when, and this is where I kind of disagree with tryouts is that, some players have just never been in a structured environment where the cones are all laid out before practice and you're just picking up cones. And they're like, uh, you say, hey, have you ever done a rondo before? They don't know that terminology where they don't know stuff. But they, after that first session, they want to come back because they picked up on stuff. And it was fun. Like I had three kids come out Wednesday and, you know, we put them in a rondo and they never, they didn't know what a rondo was. I asked each one of them. But at the end, they were like, this is awesome. Like, I want to come back. Like, I might not have been the best player out there, but I like this environment and I want to come back. And it creates that, like you said, that comfortable environment where they might not know a kid. They might not know what to expect. Their parents may be pushing them out to this, but they're able to come out and train and understand, hey, it's still just soccer. There's just a different voice and a different expectation for me. And I think as coaches, that's what we need to have for our kids. Like, if we're having an ID session, yeah, we want to attract the best talent, but we don't also don't expect these kids to come in and become the best player on our team. Because if that's the case and someone's doing something else wrong, if you have a really good player that comes to be becomes the best player of your team from an ID session, then we haven't been doing our group justice, right? You want to bring in those players that haven't had that experience, bring them in, get them in that training environment, and then say, all right, a year from now, you were a rec player. But now... 
I look at you, you're one of the best players on my team. Like I look at your team, Sebastian, 2010 girls. A lot of those kids are in rec last year. Yeah. I can name like half your team was in rec last year. Mm -hmm. They came to yeah, the, the all-star conversation. Um, you know, we, Sebastian and I have had this and, you know, I think it's multifaceted. Everything we've said, like you look at the number of players. So like if I look at my 11, 12 girls, you know, it, there's a very real question of mathematically, as you grow to bigger teams, where do those players come from? Right. So it comes a question of, well, they're probably coming from your rec program. So now it's your choice. When do you want to give them that trajectory of a learning curve? So if I'm looking at an eight or a nine year old and I told the parents, Sebastian came over to a conversation I was having before our ID session. And what I make sure the parents know is we're looking at interest right now. Does your son or daughter really want to play soccer? Right, Because that's going to be a huge piece of their development. And then I also warned the parent, I said, you are going to see differences in abilities because there's nerves right now. It's not, you know, and things like that. And I, and I always use the anecdotal story. I mean, I'm a parent within the club as well. Um, and I can remember my daughter's first day with the 2011-12 team. Okay. It didn't go well. Like not from a club perspective, she left not feeling like she was good enough. Um, and so that can go to what Mike was just talking about, even though it's not a moment of, I didn't make a team. She felt that feeling of I'm coming from rec and there's a bar that I, I don't feel like I'm at. So even if it's not a tryout, the, the individual felt that. Um, and now we look at it and we're three, four months later and she's an integral part of the team. Um, so I think you look at it and you look at what is your expectation of a player at one of these ID sessions. And as, as Dwayne was saying, um, you don't know what that player is going to be in six months or, or nine months or 12 months. Um, and then I think it comes down to honesty with conversations. If we're going to start going to player pool type things, I mean, can we bring in enough? I mean, if I could have 16, 2012s, let's say that's way too many for right now, but if we can find the right environment to, continue to develop players and make sure that our better players, you know, the ones that have been around a little longer are being challenged and the other players are being developed. Then when they're going to 11 v 11, if we can retain most of them, now we're not playing, you know, having to look into different avenues to add players when they're 11 v 11. Um, so I think a lot of it's conversations, um, you know, with players and parents, and then also just understanding, I know Sebastian, you've said this before, we're developing players. Right. Um, and, and Dwayne said it like, yeah, I mean, when we did our ID session the other day, if we had players that were coming from rec that just came and walked all over our travel players, we have a problem because we've been giving them an opportunity that maybe those other kids have not had. Um, so I, I think it's a lot of educating families, both you know, both our current families and, um, you know, families that are looking to join. And then finding different avenues, as Sebastian, as you said, finding different avenues um, to make sure whoever decides to come out, um, they're getting what they need. You know, I was thinking about it last night on our drive home from Dover, like when a kid enters kindergarten, if they don't know their letters, the teacher doesn't say, okay, I'm not going to teach you how to read, right? Like, that's what I was thinking. And, and you guys know, I mean, you know, I come from a teaching background, but when I was driving home, I was like, when a kid enters kindergarten, whether their families, they had the opportunity and the kid was already a reader or whether they had no phonemic awareness, you don't not teach those kids how to read, right? You know, and, and, and soccer is the same thing. Um, 
So, you know, I was just thinking about it because we had a little bit of a drive last night about, you know, this conversation. And and that's kind of what came into my mind. I was a reading teacher. You know, I didn't care what they were coming forth. What do you have? And then I'll I'll teach you how to do it. Um, So, well, but it's not even that. It's just also the idea that it's, yeah, you might have a kid that might not know how to read at that moment. but, But at the same time, the kid that maybe doesn't know how to read is sitting next to a kid that does. Right. So, so it's the idea of the slanty line theory, right? Of how do you now turn the limbo stick to its side so that way one kid is still being challenged while the other kid is finding success and you're kind of going, th- both are going through the limbo stick to a certain extent. And I think that's the hard part, right? But I think that's also the, that's also the fun part, right? From, from a coaching perspective, I look for that challenge. I want, and I'll continue to say this, it's, it's easy to coach the really, really good teams. It's easy to coach the, like I said, the the, the 11-year-old girls team with, with 40, with 10, 15 players that all know how to juggle, do bicycle kicks and all these other things. It's easy to do that uh, because then you get to work on everything that we've always dreamed of working on as a coach, right? You get to do set pieces. You get to do overlapping runs, third man runs. Like you have to do all these, you do do everything, right? Yeah, that's great, but I want to be able to develop some a player, and I want to be able to say, I want to be able to find a way for the players to understand the why, right? So when we ask, and it's funny, I have this conversation with 2010 sometimes, and I tell them, like, all of you know, you give me the answers, right? You know the answers. I think the struggle now is getting it from your head down to your feet and having your feet do the rest of it. You know, how do you pass a ball? What goes into passing a ball? And they say, pass it. So that way the person can receive it on their front foot, make eye contact, make sure your hips are facing the right direction. Make sure your plant foot's facing where you're playing. So they, they answer, they have all the answers. They know the why now it's doing it. The hard part is knowing the why at times, right? If you have a player and Dwayne and I've seen it, even on the high school girls, we have some players that have joined us a little bit later in their soccer careers that know how to do it, but they don't know why they're doing it. And then that becomes difficult when at that level you're trying to do some of the more tactical things and they don't know the answers to those questions. But if we can do a better job of teaching them the why when they're younger, I'm a firm believer that we can teach anybody how to play the game. The one thing you cannot do is teach somebody to want to play the game. That's the hardest part, right? I think that's that goes to what Kyle was saying. He, he says, well, does the player want to be here? That's always my question after a session when a new kid comes out. Do you have fun? Do you want to, yeah, did you have fun? Do you want to be here? Because if the answer is no, then there's no purpose really of them being there other than their parents forcing them to be there. Right. And, and we've seen that before down, and it doesn't go well. Right. It all comes down to it's about the kid. and can Does the kid want to develop? Does the kid want to be there? Does the kid want to get better? Right. And that's what we're all here to do is make the kids better and put them in a good environment. Um, I remember a coach back in, we used to do tryouts for uh, CDSA. He said, no one's trying up unless you're the next Freddie Adu. Told all these kids they could not try up because their team wasn't competitive enough unless they were the next Freddie Adu. So then what do you do with the rest of those kids, right? They leave, go to different clubs, or they get stuck on this team that they're, they've kind of outgrown. 
Yeah. So it's also, it's not just, you know, based on the player, but it's like, we've got to look at the bigger picture that the club, the families, tryouts and non-tryouts, like tryouts are good in certain areas, but we also want to bring the families in and show them, all right, show up to practice 10 minutes before, you know, be on time to practice, you know, when you get there, line up your bags, like, you know, everybody's wearing the same uniform. Like we're all wearing the gray tops, the black shorts or the gray warm-up tops. We got to educate the families to see that part too. So they know, Hey, when you join this team, like you got to wear a uniform to practice. Like you got to be here on time. Like you need to run from the car. If you're late, like we've got to educate the families on those things too. And they can a tryout setting, you know, you see that for one day or two days and then it goes away. When you bring these kids into an ID session, you bring them in for, you know, three or four or five sessions, they start to say, okay, maybe start to become a part of the group and they naturally become part of a group. Yeah, no, I agree. All right. Well, I mean, I think this is, and I think as Mike said, I think this is one of the biggest topics probably in youth soccer to a certain extent um, is the idea of development and, and how, you know, how you solve the math problem. Um, I don't know that there's one specific answer. That's the right answer in comparison to other others being wrong answers. I think there's multiple avenues that work for multiple environments. Um, I think for us, we've found that this is a good way for us to solve our, our math problem. Um, we found something that's worked and we found, I think that the hard part is, you know, how do you, how, how, how do you know if it does work? Right. Um, and I think at times, and Duane and I have, are finding this recently, is that we've had some players that may have left that are now coming back or have expressed the fact that, like, they're like, you guys were right. Like, and not that not that it's for us to sit here and brag about it or anything like that or be like, well, I told you so. No, it's, it's, it's just saying, okay, like, that's fine. Not a problem. Like, again, ultimately, at the end of the day, and this is a conversation we have with parents all the time, is you have to do whatever you think is right for your for your player for your kid right at the end of the day no one's going to ever fault you for that um I, i'm only here to give you the advice or the the guidance that i have based on my experience and my job and same with all of us as coaches ultimately the parent then makes a decision for themselves and their family and their kid um so i think again i think this is a topic of conversation that i think probably could be developed over over ultimately it comes down to what's best for your club like if we ran tryouts i don't know that we have a team in every age group maybe not maybe maybe you don't and i think it's when i think of tryouts i think hey if i'm trying out i'm looking to play on probably one of the highest level teams that i can that where i need to try i need to be the best out of these 30 kids or 50 kids like that's what a tryout is. If you could bring in 50 of the top kids in your area to play on the top team in your area, do a tryout. But if you're not looking to achieve that highest level or achieve a goal, if your goal is to go win a national championship or something, then what's the point of a tryout? Yeah. And I think, you know, I think to go along with that, you have to ask yourself the question, are you trying to develop soccer players or are you using soccer to develop people, right? What's your club philosophy? Um, so, there's a lot of clubs out there that, you know, they may not say it in their mission statement, but their number one mission is solely to develop soccer players. Right. Um, and it goes into our recruiting sessions that we did the other day. You might be able to develop soccer players, but if you're not developing good people and student athletes, what's the end game for those players? Um, right. You know, and I use that example and I've said things like, um, you know, players, 
there's players can develop in every environment and, and regardless. So like if you've got a player and you're, if you just happen to be fortunate enough that your son or daughter is one of the better players on the team and there's other players catch up, what can they learn from that moment? You know, um, you know, I have a very good friend that started a soccer club in the South Bronx about 11 or 12 years ago. Um, and they're, they're, it's right on their website. It's never changed. I mean, it started with a, he was a math teacher with 16 kids in his class and he, he started this club. Um, and their, their statement is, you know, using soccer as a vehicle for social change. Now that's a different environment because South Bronx is the poorest congressional district in the United States. And I mean, he's literally saving lives, you know, with his soccer club, but the mission was never, even though they have players that have played for Syracuse university and, and division one, two, and three, I mean, they're sending players everywhere. Now, the one thing you see them promoting all the time is we have like a 98% graduation rate and the South Bronx has a you know, whatever, a 42% graduation rate, you know, district wide. So, you know, what is the mission of your club? So that club had a very specific mission um, to get these kids kind of like what ASPI did the other day. These are kids that had no opportunities and I was fortunate enough to have a ton of them come to me and play collegiately. Um, but what is the mission of your club? So, and, you know, I would say that, you know, our mission, you know, that I've kind of developed or you know, thought about or seen with Delaware Union is we use soccer to develop people. Um, yeah you know, well-rounded people. And if that's the mantra, then we, we develop players and, and we're looking for them to gain more than just, you know, who's the best, you know, players on the team. Um, you know, and I, like I said, I have a daughter on the team and we talk about, she had the opportunity to play at one point with, you know, some newer players. And, you know, I told my wife when I got home, she enjoys that just as much as no matter what, you know, what mix of players we make, um, yeah. you know, and sometimes the parents, get in the way of what would happen naturally with the kids. Um, so I think as Dwayne said, educating our parents, um, you know, and understanding that it's not, there's nothing to be scared of. Um, right. You know, just let the kids be kids and, um, you know, and sometimes let the adults stand back and, and, and they'll figure it out for themselves. Well, I think the key, I think the key to that is the fact that Putting your, I'm talking about your daughter specifically, putting your daughter in that environment doesn't change the fact that your daughter is extremely competitive either. Right, right. Because your, your, your daughter is one of the most competitive <laughs> eight, eight or nine-year-olds that I've ever met. Um, I mean, Dwayne and I, Dwayne and I uh, always have the joke with her that we tell her she drives herself to practice. <laughs> and she always tells us that she doesn't. And we're like, well, come on. We, we know you drive yourself to practice. Yeah, that's why we're there an hour and a half early. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She just drives to practice. She takes her truck and drives to practice. <laughs> um, but but changing that part of it doesn't change the fact that she's extremely competitive, which I think is a good thing, though, right? We still want her to be competitive, even if the players around her may, may need some time to catch up. We don't want her to be like, oh, it's okay for us to lose a game now. No. I, again, I've never stepped into a game going oh, today's a great day to lose yeah. no i i tomorrow i'm playing against tough teams with both my teams but guess what i'm stepping in going we're gonna go win this game yeah. and i'm telling my players here's what we're gonna do to, have to here's what we have to do to win the game yeah. um because at the end of the game at the end of the day this is a game and no one likes to lose the problem is is that at times we view the result as the overall goal and that's not the overall goal. The, the The goal of a game is to win, but the goal of development is not to only win games. I think that's the that's the key. Um, so, Great Chad Reed always says, I, I like to go 1-1-1 one, one, and one in a weekend so the kids are still hungry. Afterwards. That's right. There you go. That's right. Yeah. Don't sit on that fence, man. 
Gotta be over the fence. <laughs> Gotta be over the fence. Don't sit on the fence. All right. So we're gonna move on to the player of the match. Uh Dwayne, go first. Uh my player of the match is the Weston. You know, <laughs> high class hotel, high class player, you know, one of the top <laughs> players in the US men's national team, Weston McKinney. Um, you know, he does a lot of the dirty work and it's really like I don't want to say it's like under the radar, but he's like a really like call, like not really calm, like, but he just does a lot of work behind the scenes, I guess. Like a lot of the stuff that she don't, he doesn't like, he may score some goals, but he really controls that midfield behind the scenes doing everything, man. So he's a, a he's a really quality player. Had the opportunity to watch him play um, with the U S team in Philly. And it's just like, I mean, it's like playing the violin almost like, the way he plays in the midfield. Like, he's a really good player. Yeah. Uh, Kyle. So I had a toss up. So I was thinking that somebody may choose Weston McKinney. Um, so um, mine is Tyler Adams, you know, it's same for many of the same reasons. I thought, I thought our central midfield was great yesterday. Um, and, and for many of the reasons, reasons that Dwayne picked McKinney, um, those guys often get lost in the play, I think a little bit, but Adams, you know, I think he's a natural six. Um, you know, I think he was comfortable there. I think he probably provided more leadership. Had we been at the game live, I think we would have seen some of the stuff that you don't see on TV that, you know, he actually, you know, can do and kind of organize. He's got a little bit of maturity to him. Um, but I think him and McKinney, you know, in the midfield collectively, um, you know, were, were spectacular on the day and often probably overlooked because people were looking for what some of the very young, you know, the Reina was going to do and, you know, what was Des going to do and things like that. But, um, you know, I thought they were absolutely outstanding. Um, and I, I love them in that position, uh, you know, as the six. Um, I'm giving mine to my wife uh, because Chad made a comment that, uh, to a certain extent, almost made me cry. Um, not in a good way either. Uh, <laughs> so he called me after the uh, the college prep presentation and said, you know what? Your wife is so much better at doing presentations than you are. <laughs> so, um, and for her, that was a big compliment. Uh, for me, I was sitting in the corner crying and, and sulking and saying that I'll never present again. Um, but... Uh, over the fence. <laughs> I'm on. I'm. I think at this point, I'm just under the fence. I'm Brittany, just sleep. Brittany's oh, oh, Brittany's definitely over the fence. I'm. I'm like getting to the fence, and I rip my shorts going over the fence. Um, <laughs> you're claw. You're clawing at the fence. I'm clawing at the fence. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm giving mine to my wife because uh, she does a. She did a fantastic job with that. Um, damn. All right. On this day in soccer history, man, I remember this day vividly. November thirteenth. 2017 um that wasn't that long ago that was not that long ago no Dwayne got his calculator out (laughs) but 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 what was happening around that time do you remember Dwayne? some champions league football okay what else in the soccer world what, what 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 was leading up what's the next biggest thing that was happening uh world cup was coming up in 18 so that means it was World Cup qualifier time. Is this like the day that the U.S. got eliminated by Trinidad? It's not. Um, it's not. But close. Um, this is the day that Italy didn't make the World Cup. <laughs> this is the day that Italy played against Sweden and tied 0-0 and lost in a gra- aggregate of one nothing to Sweden. 
and Italy did not go to the 2018 World Cup. Giuseppe Rossi should have been an American. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have our target nine. Huh? I said we, we have, would have we our target yeah. nine. But looking at looking at the at that at that Italian national team that was only three years ago, there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of players that aren't playing anymore. Not at least on the national team. Um, they were holding like, on to those 2006 guys. They were. I mean, Gigi Buffon was still in the gold. Probably that. That's not the reason why they lost, uh, or not didn't win. I guess it, it was better better stated. They just didn't win the game. If they had won the game, at least it would have pushed it to a PKs. Uh, for the second game, but yeah, so November Balotelli? 13th. No, no Balotelli. No, it was uh, Immobile was one of their forwards. Still playing, but still there. Yeah, still there, but just not not the same. Um, yeah, so there you go. That was uh, that was the on this day in history. Not too long ago. All right, we 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 went we went relatively close, but an important day nonetheless. Because I can guarantee you, Italy will never forget that day. Uh, that's the day they didn't make the World Cup. So, all right, fair play of the week. Uh, my fair play goes to the Delaware Union Recreational Volunteers. Uh, because I thought they did a good job with the three v three tournament, and I thought everything was organized to make it a successful and a good event. And I think that's that was really important considering the times that we're in. So. That's that's who mine goes to. Dwayne. I'm going to give mine out to uh, the country of Austria. They're getting ready to host our men's national team. And we play Panama, right? 245 on Monday. Panama, right? Two CONCACAF nations. They don't, like, completely different um, association hosting both of them for a friendly on Monday. So shout out to the Austria, Austrian Football Association for hosting two CONCACAF teams. You know that that check cash though, right? Like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'll tell you whose check isn't cashing. Denmark. <laughs> Did you hear about Denmark? No, I didn't. What? What Denmark, happened? A lot of uh, they're having issues because they can't get their top national team together because guys can't travel to Denmark in the UK. Oh, so you gotta. So club teams didn't release their players because of the strict quarantine from Denmark. So is it just a Danish national team from the Danish league? Yeah, straight from Danish. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Good. Yeah, that'll go really well. Uh, that'll, yeah, good. That'll. Oh, we have problems getting Josh Sargent over. <laughs> Talk yeah. to Danish. Talk yeah. To <laughs> yeah. Um, Kyle. So mine's going to go uh, just to the pregame statement with the men's national team. Um, you know, you've seen a lot of this. Um, and I think it's a conversation that can't end. Um, you know, I think it needs to continue. And I, I do like the way that they did it um, with the front and the back. You know, the front were united and the back, you know, we're still individuals and, and these are the things that we believe in. So I thought it was a, a great spin. Um, I don't know if it was just done to be, you know, a little bit different or, if, you know, what kind of how it all manifested. But I love the idea that, yes, we are this team. But then we are individuals, but we're all working towards a common goal. So I just thought the way that they did it and the fact that they did it, I mean, this is the first opportunity they've had, um, you know, to be together. Um, I just thought it was a great statement. Um, and it's cool because they're all American and they look like Americans because everybody's right. from a different part of America or 
has an American parent was brought up in a different country. So I think that part's pretty cool too. Yeah, and I think I think when with a team like the men's national team, it, it hits home really well. You know, I mean, they're they truly are from all walks of life. I mean, you've got you know military families that grew up overseas, and you've got guys you know that were born here. You've got guys that were, you know just just a, the the exact um, you know mix of what is America. Um, and so you know, I think it you know it was sincere with how they did it. Um, and, and again, just a great gesture, just like all the other sports have been. Yeah, no, it's, it's really good. All right. Well, uh, we're wrapping up and we're heading to a tournament today with Dwayne. So we might, you know, we got a little bit of time in between, so we might, we might hop on social media, uh, maybe with some of the players, maybe we'll do some post post game interviews or pregame interviews since we have a little bit of a break in between two, our two high school games. Uh, so in order to check that out, you got to go to facebook.com slash Delaware union. Instagram at Delaware Union Soccer on Twitter at DE Union Soccer. So make sure you follow us on that. And if you have a player that you want us to interview by request from the high school team, let us know. Yes. Yeah. Reach out to us. Yeah, absolutely. Have a favorite player on that high school team on either one of those teams, just 32 players out there. Yeah. If you got a request, let us know. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this week. And remember, always receive the ball on your front foot.